This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, you know I tell you all the time. If you see something cool, share it with me, all right? I get guys that will email me stuff. I'll get guys that will leave messages on Instagram or just text me stuff because from time to time, when you share something with me, I'll look at it, I'll think it's really awesome, and I'll think it's something that I need to share with the rest of you all. So that happened uh, just a few weeks ago. I had a buddy who, a buddy of mine in Wichita, Kansas. Um, you know, I've known him for a while, but he's only been listening to the podcast for a few weeks. And he sent me this article. And it was an article that was written on cracked.com. That's cracked, like C R A C K E D.com. Um, and I don't follow this website. I, I don't know that I've ever even heard of this website, but I guess it's, uh, it's getting a lot of play. And a lot of people actually have went to this website for a while. There's a lot of dudes that actually are into it. And it's an article that apparently back in 2012, it was shared a whole bunch of times that the guy even like re-released it and kind of got it all uh, going again back in like 2017 or something like that. I can't really remember, but the title of the article is six harsh truths that will make you a better person. Okay. And so the title itself was, was enough for me to be like, ah, well, I don't know. Is this just kind of like some, some self-helpy type thing, but it was talking about harsh truths. So I was like, okay, maybe there's some sobering details in here. And then like I do with a lot of articles, sometimes if it's a really, really short article, I was like, ah, there's not much here. I'll just skim it, but it's a fairly lengthy article. And so I was like, all right, there, there's enough here for me to go ahead and take a look. But, uh, what my buddy Brian said, uh, in the text, and this was what I read before I read the article was this, he said, sure, it's secular, but Protestant and capitalist in its message without realizing it. Big takeaway. The world only cares what it can get from you. Ergo, what are you offering the world? And so, I mean, with all that kind of going into it, I was uh, pretty excited about reading this article. And once I was done reading it, like, it, yes, it is incredibly secular, but you, you kind of know how things happen. And you see this sometimes in movies or in literature or in blogs or tweets, even like people will say something and they're accidentally making the point they're not thinking they're making. And, you know, sometimes to be fair, you might, you might take something out of context and that may lend you to think that they're saying something that they're not saying, like you're inferring some sort of meaning that's not actually there. But at the end of the day, this article really does do what I suggested earlier, which is basically that it's not really meaning and really what my buddy suggested as well, which is like, I don't think it had the intended message for the entire crowd, but there was definitely a good message that people could take from it. So what I'm going to do on this podcast is I'm going to go ahead and read this entire article to you because I know my audience. All right. I know that when I beg for you guys to read some of you guys just, you know, that's in one year and write out the other. Like I'm, I'm fully aware of kind of how that goes. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this entire article to you. But I will be making some uh, some edits. And for any of you guys that have read this before, because I know this this has gotten the rounds, it just came to me. Uh, I'm a little late to the party on this one. Um, but 
uh, I will be making some edits because there is uh, there's quite a bit of bad language in this, and also there's going to be some things that uh, are you know you kind of have to see it in the article to understand the context. So every now and then I'm going to come out of you know reading mode and I'll explain kind of what's on the screen and I'll be kind of going back and forth a little bit. But you should be able to at least catch on to to what it is that I'm doing. But I think the article's an, uh, good enough to be read in its entirety. You know, it's it's kind of. It, it, it sounds like it's one of your buddies saying these things. It doesn't sound like someone from the New York Times or The Economist is, you know, trying to impress you with, you know, their journalism degree that they got from a really good school but with all the writing. So that's not something that you're going to run into. And then when we get to the end, I want to have a little... Uh, a little discussion, I guess, with with myself, I guess, but I'm just going to talk a little bit about the points that were made and, and kind of where I see it aligning uh, with a modern Christian man and kind of how this is all wrapped up in manhood. So I'm just going to kind of flow with it because and this is, again, this is a good encouragement to you guys that share stuff with me. Like I'm always down to take in more content and I've had people reach out to me before and send me content and it just wasn't a good fit for the podcast, what they were wanting me to say, but, but you never know. So go ahead and send me the stuff in. So here we go, guys. I'm going to start reading The Six Harsh Truths That Will Make You a Better Person, written by David Wong on December 17th of 2012 on Cracked.com. 2017, guys. Yeah, let's do this. Do what, you ask? I don't know. Let's figure that out together. Feel free to stop reading this if your career is going great, you're thrilled with your life, and you're happy with your relationships. Enjoy the rest of your day, friend. This article is not for you. You're doing a great job. We're all proud of you. So you don't feel like you wasted your click. Here's a picture of Lenny Kravitz wearing a gigantic scarf. And (laughs) there's literally a picture of Lenny Kravitz wearing an unbelievably huge scarf. So here we go back to the article. For the rest of you, I want you to try something. Name five impressive things about yourself. Write them down or just shout them out loud to the room. But here's the catch. You're not allowed to list anything you are, i.e. I'm a nice guy, I'm honest, but instead can only list things that you do i.e., I just won a national chess tournament. I make the best chili in Massachusetts. If you found that difficult, well, this is for you, and you're going to hate hearing it. My only defense is that this is what I wish somebody had said to me around 1995 or so. Note, I originally posted this. Sorry, I lost my place. Uh, Doing it live. Doing it live. All right. Note, I originally posted this in December of 2012, and to date, it has drawn more than 20 million page views and been shared on Facebook more than half a million times. We decided to update it and post it again every year. And by update it, I mean change the year in the intro. All right. Number six, the world only cares about what it can get from you. Let's say that a person you love the most has just been shot. He or she is lying in the street, bleeding and screaming. A guy rushes up to you and says, step aside. He looks over your loved one's bullet wound and pulls out a pocket knife. He's going to operate right there in the street. You ask, are you a doctor? The guy says, no. You say, but you know what you're doing, right? You're an old army medic or at this point, the guy becomes annoyed. He tells you that he's a nice guy. He is honest. He is always on time. He tells you that he is a great son to his mother and he has a rich life full of fulfilling hobbies and he boasts that he never uses foul language. Confused, you say, how does any of that matter when my wife slash husband slash best friend slash parent is lying here bleeding? I need somebody who knows how to operate on bullet wounds. Can you do that or not? Now, the man becomes agitated. Why are you being shallow and selfish? Do you not care about any of his or other good qualities? Didn't you just hear him say that he always remembers his girlfriend's birthday? In light of all the good things he does, does it really matter if he knows how to perform surgery? 
In that panicked moment, you will take your bloody hands and shake him by the shoulder, screaming, yes, I'm saying that none of that other stuff matters because in this specific situation, I just need somebody who can stop the bleeding, you crazy, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) So here's my terrible truth about the adult world. You are in that very situation every single day. Only you are the confused guy with a pocket knife. All of society is the bleeding gunshot victim. If you want to know why society seems to shun you or why you seem to get no respect, it's because society is full of people who need things. They need houses built. They need food to eat. They need entertainment. They need fulfillment, fulfilling sexual relationships. You arrived at the scene of that emergency holding your pocket knife by virtue of your birth. The moment you came into the world, you became part of the system designed purely to see two people's needs. Either you will go about the task of seeing to those needs by learning a unique set of skills or the world will reject you. No matter how kind, giving, and polite you are, you will be poor, you will be alone, and you will be left out in the cold. Does that seem mean or crass or materialistic? What about love and kindness? Don't those things matter? Of course, as long as they result in you doing things for people that they can't get elsewhere. For you to see, here we go, number five. The hippies were wrong. (laughs) Okay, so guys, at the very beginning of this, there's a YouTube clip, and it's Alec Baldwin's very, very famous scene in the movie Glen Gary, Glen Ross. And so that's kind of the the coffee is for closers thing. You know, winners get get this... trip and you know losers get these steak knives type of thing so it's fairly famous scene if you haven't seen it before you'll you'll look at it in the article later so here we go back to the article for those of you who can't watch videos it's the famous speech alec baldwin gives in the cinematic masterpiece glengarry glenn ross baldwin's character whom you assume is the villain addresses the room full of dudes and tears them a new behold telling them that they're all about to be fired unless they close the sales they've been assigned nice guy i don't give a crap Good father, screw you. Go home and play with your kids. If you want to work here, close. It's brutal, rude, and borderline sociopathic. And also, it is an honest and accurate expression of what the world is going to expect from you. The difference is that, in the real world, people consider it so wrong to talk to you that way, and they decided it's better to simply let you keep failing. That scene changed my life. I'd program my alarm clock to play it for me every morning if I knew how. Alec Baldwin was nominated for an Oscar for that movie, and that's the only scene he's in. As smarter people have pointed out, the genius of that speech is that half, or half of the people who watch it think that the point of the scene is, wow, what must it be like to have such a butthole boss? And the other half think, yeah, let's go out and sell some dang real estate. Or as the last psychiatrist blog put it, if you were in that room, some of you would understand this as a work, but feed off the energy of the message anyway. Welcome, the coach is cursing at you. This guy is awesome. While some of you would take it personally, this guy is a jerk, you have no right to talk to me like that, or the standard maneuver when narcissism is confronted with a greater power. Quietly seethe and fantasize about finding information that will out him as a hypocrite. So satisfying. That excerpt is from an insightful critique of hipsters and why they seem to have so much trouble getting jobs. That doesn't begin to do it justice. Go read the whole thing. And the point is that the difference is in those two attitudes, bitter versus motivated, largely determines whether or not you'll succeed in the world. For instance, some people want to respond to that speech with Tyler Durden's line from Fight Club, you are not your job. But well, actually, you totally are. Granted, your job and your means of employment might might not be the same thing, but in both cases, you are nothing more than the sum total of your useful skills. For instance, 
Being a good mother is a job that requires a skill. It's something a person can do that is useful to other members of society. But make no mistake, your job, the useful thing that you do for other people, is all you are. There is a reason why surgeons get more respect than comedy writers. There is a reason mechanics get more respect than unemployed hipsters. There is a reason why your job will become your label if your death makes the news. NFL linebacker dies in murder slash suicide. Tyler said, you are not your job. But he also founded and ran a successful soap company and became, and became the head of an international social and political movement. He was totally his job. Or think of it this way. Remember when Chick-fil-A came out against gay marriage? And despite the protests, the company continued to sell millions of sandwiches every day? It's not because the country agrees with them. It's because they do their job of making delicious sandwiches well. And that's all that matters. You don't have to like it. I don't like it when it rains on my birthday. It rains anyway. Clouds form and precipitation happens. People have needs and thus assign value to the people who meet them. These are simple mechanisms of the universe and they do not respond to our wishes. If you protest that you're not a shallow capitalist materialist and that you disagree that money is everything, I can only say, who said anything about money? You're missing the larger point. Number four, what you produce does not have to make money, but it does have to benefit people. Let's try a non-money example so you don't get hung up on that. The demographic that Cracked writes for is heavy on 20-something males. So on our message boards and in my many inboxes, I read several dozen stories a year from miserable, lonely guys who insist that women won't come near them despite the fact that they are just the nicest guys in the world. I can explain what is wrong with this mindset, but it would probably be better if Alec Baldwin explained it. And then it shows that, uh, that Alec Baldwin clip from the same movie again. Back to the article. In this case, Baldwin is playing the part of the attractive woman in your life. They won't put it as bluntly as he does. Society has trained us not to be this honest with people. But the equation is the same. Nice guy? Who gives a crap? If you want to work here, close. So, what do you bring to the table? Because the Zoe Deschanel lookalike in the bookstore that you've been daydreaming about moisturizes, moisturizes her face for an hour every night and feels guilty when she eats anything other than salad for lunch. She's going to be a surgeon in 10 years. What do you do? Well, so you're saying that I can't get girls like that unless I have a nice job and make lots of money? No. Your brain jumps to that conclusion so you have an excuse to write off everyone who rejects you by something that you're just being shallow or selfish. I'm asking what do you offer? Are you smart, funny, interesting, talented, ambitious, creative? Okay, now what do you do, now what do, you do to demonstrate those attributes to the world? Don't say that you're a nice guy. That's the bare minimum. Pretty girls have guys being nice to them 36 times a day. The patient is bleeding in the street. Do you know how to operate or not? Well, I'm not sexist or racist or greedy or shallow or abusive. Not like those other douchebags. I'm sorry. I know that this is hard to hear. But if all you can do is list a bunch of faults you don't have, then back away from the patient. There's a witty, handsome guy with a promising career ready to step in and operate. Does that break your heart? Okay, so now what? Are you going to mope about it? Are you going to learn or are you going to learn how to do surgery? It's up to you. But don't complain about how girls fall for jerks. They fall for those jerks because those jerks have other things they can offer. But I'm a great listener. Are you? Because you're willing to sit quietly in exchange for the chance at to be in the proximity of a pretty girl and spend every second imagining how soft her skin must be? Well, guess what? There's another guy in her life who also knows how to do that, and he can play guitar. <laughs> Saying that you're a nice guy is like a restaurant whose only selling point is that the food doesn't make you sick. You're like a new movie whose title is 
the move this movie is in english and its tagline the actors are clearly visible i think this is why you can be a nice guy and feel terrible about yourself specifically number three you hate yourself because you don't do anything so what you're saying i should pick up a book on how to get girls only if step one in the book is start making yourself into the type of person girls want to be around because that's the step that gets skipped it's always how can i get a job and not how can i become the type of person employers want it's how can i get pretty girls to like me instead of how can i become the type of person that pretty girls like see because that second one you could very well require giving up many of your favorite hobbies and paying more attention to your appearance and god knows what else you might even have to change your personality but why can't i find someone who just likes me for me you ask the answer is because humans need things the victim is bleeding and all you can do is look down and complain that there aren't more gunshot wounds that need fixed all right now here's a video of a guy it's kind of a weird dude it's like a street performer doing a concert this guy's like in this crazy thong with an american flag and he's just just going crazy it's a horrible horrible band but it's just kind of like a ridiculous ridiculous song so it's kind of funny you should look at it but we're gonna go back in the article here everyone who watched that video instantly became a little happier although not all for the same reasons can you do that for people why not what's stopping you from strapping on your proverbial thong and cape and taking your proverbial stage and flapping your proverbial penis at people that guy knows the secret to winning at human life that doing whatever you call that was better than not doing it but i'm not good at anything well i have good news throw enough hours of repetition at it and you get some sort of good at anything i was the world's crappiest writer when i was an infant i was only slightly better at the age of 25 but while i was failing miserably at my career i wrote in my spare time for eight straight years an article a week before i ever made real money off of it it took 13 years for me to get good enough to make the new york times bestseller list it took me probably 20,000 hours of practice to sand the edges off of my sucking don't like the prospect of pouring all that time into a skill well i have good news and bad news the good news is that the sheer act of practicing will help you come out of your shell i got through years of tedious office work because i knew that i was learning a unique skill on the side people quit because it takes too long to see results because they can't figure out that the process is the result the bad news is that you have no other choice if you want to work here close because in my non-expert opinion you don't hate yourself because you have low self-esteem or because other people were mean to you you hate yourself because you don't do anything not even you can justify love you for you that's why you're miserable and sending me private messages asking me what i think i should do with my life do the math how much of your time is spent consuming things other people made tv music video games websites versus making your own only one of those adds to your value as a human being and if you hate hearing this and you are responding with something you heard as a kid that sounds like it's what's on the inside that matters then i can only say number two what you are inside only matters because of what it makes you do being in the business i am in i know dozens of aspiring writers they think of themselves as writers they introduce themselves as writers at parties they know that deep inside they have the heart of a writer the only thing they're missing is that minor final step where they actually write things but really does it matter is writing things all that important all that important when deciding who is and who is not truly a writer for the love of god yes see there's a common defense to everything i've said so far and to every critical voice in your life it's the thing your ego is saying to you in order to prevent you from having to do the hard work of improving i know i'm a good person on the inside it may also be phrased as i know who i am or i just have to be me don't get me wrong who you are inside is everything 
The guy who built a house for his family from scratch did it because of who he was inside. Every bad thing you've ever done has started with a bad impulse. Some thought ricocheting around inside your skull until you had to act on it. And every good thing you've done is the same. Who you are inside is the metaphorical dirt from which your fruit grows. But here's what everyone needs to know, and what many of you can't accept. You are nothing but the fruit. Nobody cares about your dirt. Who you are on the inside is meaningless aside from what it produces for other people. Inside, you have great compassion for poor people. Great. Does that result in you doing anything about it? Do you hear about some terrible tragedy in your community and say, Oh, those poor children? Let them know that they are in my thoughts. Because screw you if so. Find out what they need and help provide it. A hundred million people watched that Coney video, virtually all of whom kept those poor African children in their thoughts. What did the collective power of those good thoughts provide? Jack crap. Children die every day because millions of us tell ourselves that caring is just about as good as doing. It's an internal mechanism controlled by the lazy part of your brain to keep you from actually doing work. How many of you are walking around right now saying he or she would love me if he or she only knew what an interesting person I am? Really? How do all of your interesting thoughts and ideas manifest themselves in the world? What do they cause you to do? If your dream girl or guy has a hidden camera that follows you around for a month, would they be impressed with what they saw? Remember, they can't read your mind. They can only observe. Would they want to be a part of that life? Because all I'm asking you to do is apply the same standard to yourself that you apply to everyone else. Don't you have that annoying Christian friend whose only offer to help anyone ever is to pray for them? Doesn't it drive you nuts? I'm not even commenting on whether or not prayer works. It doesn't change the fact that they chose the one type of help that doesn't require them to get off of the sofa. They abstain from every vice. They think clean thoughts. Their internal dirt is as pure as can be. But what fruit grows from it? And they should know this better than anybody. I stole the fruit metaphor from the Bible. Jesus said something to the effect of a tree is judged by its fruit over and over and over. Granted, Jesus never said, if you want to work here, close. No, he said, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The people didn't react well to being told that, just as the salesman didn't react well to Alec Baldwin telling them that they needed to grow some balls or resign themselves to shining his shoes. Which brings us to the final point. Number one, everything inside you will fight improvement. The human mind is a miracle, and you will never see it spring more beautifully into action than when it is fighting against evidence that it needs to change. Your psyche is equipped with layer after layer of defense mechanisms designed to shoot down anything that might keep things from staying exactly where they are. Ask any addict. So even now, some of you reading this are feeling your brain bombard you with the knee-jerk reasons to reject it. From experience, I can say that these seem to come in the form of intentionally interpreting any criticism as an insult. Who is he to call me lazy and worthless? A good person would never ask me or talk to me like this. He wrote this whole thing just to feel superior to me and make me feel bad about my life. I'm going to think up my own insult to even the score. Focusing on the messenger to avoid hearing the message. Who is this guy to tell me how to live? Oh, like he's so high and mighty. It's just some dumb writer on the internet. I'm going to go dig up something on him that reassures me that he's stupid and that everything he's saying is stupid. This guy is so pretentious. It makes me puke. I watched his old rap video on YouTube and thought his rhyme sucked. Focus on, focusing on the tone to avoid hearing the content. I'm going to dig through here until I find a joke that is offensive when taken out of context and then talk and think about that. I've heard that single offensive word can render an entire book invisible. Revising your own history. Things are so bad. 
I know that I was threatening suicide last month, but I'm feeling better now. It's entirely possible that if I just keep doing exactly what I'm doing, eventually things will work out. I'll get my big break, and if I keep doing favors for that pretty girl, eventually she'll come around. Pretending that any self-improvement would somehow be selling out your true self. Oh, so I guess I'm supposed to get rid of all of my manga instead of go to the gym for six hours a day and get a spray tan like those Jersey Shore douchebags? Because that is the only other option. And so on. Remember, misery is comfortable. It's why so many people prefer it. Happiness takes effort. Also, courage. It's incredibly comforting to know that as long as you don't create anything in your life, then nobody can attack the thing you created. It's so much easier to just sit back and criticize other people's creations. This movie is stupid. That couple's kids are brats. The other couple's relationship is a mess. That rich guy is shallow. This restaurant sucks. The internet writer is a butthole. I'm, I'd better leave a mean comment demanding that the website fire him. See, I created something. Oh, wait. Did I forget to mention that part? Yeah. Whatever you try to build or create, be it a poem or a skill or a new relationship, you will find yourself immediately surrounded by non-creators who trash it. Maybe not your face, or maybe not to your face, but they'll do it. Your drunk friends don't want you to get sober. Your fat friends don't want you to start a fitness regimen. Your jobless friends don't want you to see, don't want to see you embark on a career. Just remember, they're only expressing their own fear, since trashing other people's work is another excuse to do nothing. Why should I create anything when things the other people create suck? I would totally have written a novel by now, but I'm going to wait for something good. I don't want to write the next Twilight. As long as they never produce anything, their work will forever be perfect and beyond reproach. If they do produce something, they'll make sure they do it with detached irony. They'll make it intentionally bad and make it clear to everyone else that this isn't their real effort. The real effort would be just amazing. Not like the crap you made. Read our article comments. When they get nasty, it's always from the same angle. Crack needs to fire this columnist. This butthole needs to stop writing. Don't make any more videos. It always boils down to stop creating. This is different from what I would have made, and the attention you're getting is making me feel bad about myself. Don't be that person. If you are that person, don't be that person anymore. This is what's making people hate you. This is what's making you hate yourself. So how about this? One year. By the end of 2016, again, this was written back in the day, so by the end of 2016, that's our deadline or a year from whenever you read this. While other people are telling you, let's make a New Year's resolution to lose 15 pounds this year, I'm going to say let's pledge to do anything, add any skill, any improvement to your human tool set, and get good enough at it to impress people. Don't ask me what. Hell, pick something at at random if you don't know. Take a class in karate, or ballroom dancing, or pottery. Learn to bake. Build a birdhouse. Learn massage. Learn a programming language. Adopt a superhero persona and fight crime. Start a video vlog. Right for cracked. But the key is, I don't want you to focus on something great that you're going to make happen to you. I'm going to find a girlfriend. I'm going to make lots of money. I want you to purely focus on giving yourself a skill that will make you ever so slightly more interesting and valuable to other people. I don't have the money to take the cooking class. Then Google how to cook. They've even filtered out different websites now, and it's easier than ever. You have to kill those excuses or they will kill you. If you want to make note of your project in the forum thread or the comments and check in this time next year, knock yourself out. I'll be curious to see if even one person actually does this, but if so, we'll look back, not just with whether or not we actually followed through, but why. You have nothing to lose and the world needs you. 
Here's a video of a corgi rolling down some stairs. Okay, so that's just kind of an end to the random thing. But I know that was fairly lengthy, guys, but I wanted to read the entire thing. But I, I do want to kind of go back and uh, pull some things out. And I'm going to go back and talk about a few things on each one of these. So the very first one, and I'll, I'll make this somewhat brief. It says the world only cares about what it can get from you. So all of us know that in the sin nature of man, it's incredibly selfish, right? We know those different things, but I, I thought it was an incredibly important distinction that this person made that a lot of us try to depend on how good we are, right? So let's look at this in a Christian context. I know this is a very secular article. It may be even offended you from time to time, but let's look at it from a Christian perspective. We only look um, at, at other people. If, if we're non-Christians, we look at them as just, you know, they're just monkeys, right? They're just highly evolved monkeys. Uh, they're stardust, you know, bumping into other stardust. But us as Christians, we look at them differently. We look at them like they're inherently important. But in a post-Genesis 3 world, which is exactly where we live, yeah, if someone gets shot and they're on the street and they're bleeding and dying and someone shows up with a pocket knife, but they're not a surgeon, then we just kind of look at that person like, what exactly are you doing? The world is incredibly selfish. It is going to get something out of you. So if you look at this in a business context, some people think of, you know, the one percenters, the people, the evil people that are creating all of these companies, right? They're just seeing whatever they can get out of these different employees. But but again, I think it's important to understand that this is the world that we live in, because if we are going to share the gospel with people, if we are going to talk about Jesus with different people, then it makes sense that we would understand the world that we live in. And this is exactly right. The world only cares about what it can get from you. And then you go to the next one, the hippies were wrong. So again, it's just, it's all this stuff about, you know, well, I'm a nice guy and uh, there are things that I do that are, that are really, really good. And uh, it's just kind of one of those things that some people try to just get by on who they are. So you've heard the concept of people, you know, they wake up on third base and think they hit a triple. It's kind of what ends up here. You have these people that just think, well, everything's just kind of, kind of work out and uh, everything's just going to be okay. But I, I, you just have to remember that that's not really a realistic viewpoint on the world that we're looking at. Like, it's just not something that we would, we would necessarily want to do. And, you know, it talked about this thing that you are your job. Now, now again, as Christians, we understand that we are worth more than that. But again, what you do at your job may be one of the biggest things that you can do to point people to the gospel. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be working in vocational ministry of any kind. It could. But where you are at your job is where you're going to spend an overwhelming majority of your time. And so that's where people may get to meet Jesus is whenever they're seeing you in your normal day-to-day life. And then when you go to number four, this one is what you produce does not have to make money, but it does have to benefit people. Again, this is where it's kind of coming at this thing from, you know, an, an almost oddly Christian perspective. Because a lot of things that we do, you know, we watch an episode of Shark Tank or we see someone in our life that's a really successful entrepreneur and we think, man, I, mean, I got to do something cool, but it's also got to make me money. And that's not necessarily the case. Um, at, at the end of the day, what we have to do is we do have to produce in life. Like that is our, our Christian obliga- obligation is to produce, you know, to work and keep. Like those are the things that we are, we are set out here to do. But everything that we do has to have some sort of benefit for people. And I know some of you guys that are listening to this, you might be thinking to yourself, man, like, you know, I, I don't do important work. You know, I just drive a truck or, you know, I just, you know, uh, load boxes or I just do this or I just do that. But everything you're doing is benefiting somebody else. If you go one or two degrees before you or after you in the process, of whatever it is that you're doing, there's going to be some sort of effect on people. I mean, I can't really think of a, of a job out there where people are not being affected by what it is that you're doing. Right. And so I think that's something that's really important for all of us to, to think about. 
Now, when we go into number three, I think this one is is really, really important. The, the other three that I've already mentioned, that those are good, but I think this is where it's really starting to break down into things that I think are important for us guys to think about. Number three is if you hate yourself or you hate yourself because you don't do anything. I think this is incredibly, incredibly important because there's a lot of guys out there that have, have self-loathing as a problem. Like they, they look at themselves and they don't like themselves. And let's look at some examples. Uh, you know, I'm fat, so so I'm worthless. Well, the thing about being fat is there's a very, very small percentage of the population that is fat and can't help it. Most of the people that are fat are eating too much and moving too little, right? Like that. that's why they are that way. And And they'd rather complain and spend energy and time and effort complaining about who they are currently as opposed to trying to change that so that they're a different person in the future. You know, people hate themselves because, you know, they got a divorce. And so I'm not, I'm not going to go into a big, long explanation about what, you know, God thinks about divorce and the standards therein. I think you guys are fairly well versed in that, whether you uh, actually act that way or not, but you hate yourself because your relationship didn't work out. Well, if you think about it, you could have fixed that before then. Like there, there's really no time whenever you can't go back and try and fix the things that were done, but, but you hate yourself because you made this mistake. But again, you're the biggest key inside of that. You're a person that is actually inside of that situation. You're the one that did make that mistake. And the thing about it is, I know this is kind of pushing people to try to create something and do something to, to help the world. But the thing is, is all of us have something that we can do that can provide benefit to people. And when we're not creating something, then, then we're not really living up to what God's major calling is for our life. And when most people think of creating, they do think about, well, I made a movie or I made music or I wrote this book. And it may be one of those things for you, but what it might be as well is just you creating capacity for someone else. Maybe you mow the lawn for someone down the road that has a bunch of kids and the husband's gone on business a whole lot. Well, what you've done is you've created margin for either the wife that needs to spend time taking care of her kids while her husband are gone, or you're creating margin for the husband once he's got home, that things have kind of been taken care of around the house. And you're not challenging his manhood. You're not doing any of those things. And that's just an example off the top of my head, but it's something that you've done. It's something that you've created. And the thing that you can see when you look at some psychological research, and I know a lot of you guys out there are more versed in this than I am, but whenever you start helping other people, you stop worrying about yourself as much. So there's a buddy of mine, a jujitsu buddy of mine who really, really struggles with depression and anxiety. And I mean, it's, you know, clinical, not like, oh, I'm sad because my dog passed away. Like it's like clinical type stuff. And one day he's kind of telling me about these things. And I mean, he's, I mean, he, the dude's balling on my couch and it's just, it's not really going well for him at the time. But the thing I finally told him is I said, you know what you should do? You should go and talk to your friends and ask them how they're doing and see if there's anything that you can do to help them. And he was like really taken aback by like, dude, what are you talking about? I just poured my guts out and told you that I'm thinking about committing suicide. And, you know, I've got all these crazy thoughts and what am I going to do and blah, blah, blah. And I just said, you know what? There's an interesting thing that happens when you stop focusing on yourself and start focusing on others. You see yourself in their story and you see yourself as a positive in someone else's life. Right. And, and so we actually went and did that. I, I was like, hey, just call up a friend and say, hey, I know this isn't normally like me, but I just wanted to call and say, is there anything I can do for you? Like, is there anything that I can be praying for for you about? Is there anything that we need to get together and maybe talk about? I, you know, I'd like to be there for you if there's any way that I could do that. So the thing is, is you have to do something like you have to, to make an impact in the world in some way. And you're not going to do that by just sitting around doing nothing, of course. And then you get to number two, which is what you are inside only matters because of what it makes you do. I really like this as well, because a lot of people do want to rely on what they think they are. 
Like this is who I am and who I am is all that matters. And I know in this section, it, it maybe got a little bit of a, a little bit offensive for people. Cause you know, it's that Christian that, that only says, Oh, I'll pray for you or something like that. But the thing is, is if we're, if we're really filled with the Holy spirit and if those things are happening, then we're not just going to send thoughts and prayers. We are going to do things that our gospel centered life will keep us from sitting around doing nothing. And it'll actually launch us out into the world. It'll launch us out in, in between two rivaling crews or in between two people whose marriage is on the rocks. It's going to launch you out in a direction that's going to actually help you assist somebody and make them better and potentially lead them to Christ. Because again, it's kind of one of those things like you go back to the salt and light scriptures when Jesus talked about, you know, the light can't be, you know, hidden, hidden under a dish and, and it's got to like shine for the entire world. Like the salt is only good if if it has its saltiness. And for us to be salt and light, we have to be in the world and we have to be talking to people about different things. We have to be in their lives with them. And so it's great that you feel bad for, for this, this cause or you feel bad for these people. But those feelings are, are kind of just head trash if you're not going to do anything about them. And, and I think the gospel-centered parts of our lives would, would push us out into those areas. So I talk about this all the time with people that call themselves pro, pro-life. They're pro-life, but they haven't done a, a thing at all, like to help out women at like a crisis pregnancy center or, or a woman that's decided to give her baby up for adoption, but she needs help in the meantime, maybe monetarily or, or with favors or different things like that. You're not doing anything to actually help these things. I mean, I've called out pastors on this. It's like, dude, you're up in the pulpit talking about how we should value life and all these different things, but then your church does nothing with any pro-life centers. Like any pregnancy resource centers, any group that helps these women that are single that are trying to figure out what to do with this baby and trying to convince them not to murder it, right? So it's like, yeah, it's great to say that up on the pulpit, but you're you're not really doing anything about it. You're basically doing thoughts and prayers only, and, and you're not actually doing anything. And again, don't 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 misunderstand me because I know there's been a lot of people that have said negative things about people that do thoughts and prayers. But at the end of the day, our our prayers should be you know, asking God to help us in these situations because we're the ones here on earth. He is in control and he can change everything with, you know, just a snap of his finger. But at the end of the day, he's going to work through us. He's going to work through us a lot. And we have to be willing to step up and do those different things. Okay. And then we get into the last thing here. And it's the last uh, thing that they talk about is that everything inside you will fight improvement. So any of you guys that have, you know, lived, done anything or changed anything in your life, you know, this to be true. So you were incredibly overweight and you know, you're all excited. You got new shoes, you got new clothes, you got your workout plan. You go to the gym that first day, the workout is, excuse me, unbelievably hard. And then you're, you're sore the next day and it's, you're so sore. You can barely move. And then everything in you is telling you, okay, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I can get by being a hundred pounds overweight and it may shave a couple of years off the end of my life, but I should be okay. Right. And the thing about it is, is everything inside you will fight improvement in a lot of ways. Like when you're trying to practice at things, when you're trying to get better at things, there's going to be things inside of you. You know, us as Christians, we might look at this as the influence of the devil, the influence of his minions, right? Is going to tell you not to do these things to make yourself better. You know, it's the same pull, like the Holy Spirit's pulling you towards 
uh, the triune God, but you know, the devil's pulling you away, trying to distract you. But another thing here that's incredibly important is when you start making changes. So let's look at it from the Christian context. Again, if you become a Christian, your, your non-Christian friends may be more vocal than they've ever been about their disdain that you decided to make that decision. Oh, you know, all Christians are just hypocrites and bigots. I can't believe you would do that. You know, why do you think there's only one God that's incredibly judgmental of you? Like, you know, it's those types of comments that are going to like start making you question the direction that you're going. But let's look at it even as a secular example. When people are maybe trying to go for a promotion, it's one of those things where it's like, dude, why are you, why are you trying to do so much? Why are you trying to make all of us look bad? Like, do you really want the promotion that bad? Look at it back in school. Most guys that have this stupid idea that, you know, you know, cool dudes don't read or something like that. That goes back all the way to like junior high and high school. The kid that like read the book and was like asking the teacher questions and raising their hand during discussion. It was like, oh, look at this dude. What an idiot. And all the other different names that you would call him and different things. And you would bully that kid. Well, why? Because he was bettering himself, but he, because he actually studied for the test. Yeah. Moron. You didn't study for the test and you got a D. Is that better than the kid who studied and got a B or an A? Like, like not at all. So again, guys, like this, this is a, a blog that, that has been passed around in a bunch of different circles. It eventually made its way to me. It's not going to ping true. It's not going to be a lot of things that your pastor would say from the pulpit. But I think these things are really important for us to think about because here's the thing. If you have a friend who's a non-Christian who read this article and sent it over to you, you should be able to have a substantive person, you know, conversation with this person and, you know, be able to potentially point to Christ or point to the gospel in some way, because there's a lot of messages here that would kind of lend itself to that. Now, there are some messages that are in stark contrast to what we would learn in the gospel or through a discipleship type of setup with Jesus. But again, I look at this as an opportunity to kind of bridge the gap between the secular and the Christian, because this idea that we're just going to be outside of of society and kind of do our own thing, I don't really like that. I don't really like that view of Christianity. I, that, that was talked about in Matt Chandler's book, Take Heart, where he was just talking about, you know, what how we act and what we do in post-Christendom. And this is just one of those examples of, yeah, this is something you should read this article. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of, of bad language in it and different things like that, but shoot it to some friends of yours and, and talk about it. Shoot it to a secular friend of yours. They're going to be surprised that you even read it. And perhaps, and again, that doesn't mean you endorse everything that's said, but it's like, hey, this is a really interesting article. I, I, you know, love to get together and have a whiskey and talk about it. You know, it's just one of those opportunities that you should look for. So uh, again, I want to thank Brian, my buddy out in Wichita for for doing this. Shout out to him for sending this uh, over to me. And guys, this, again, just let me encourage you one more time in this podcast. If you run across things, <clears throat> whether it's a video on YouTube or a book or a blog or something like that, shoot it over to me. I always like looking at different content. I'll I'll try to work it in somehow if it makes sense, but it's always a good deal. All right, guys, we're going to do a quick resilience boost before we leave. As you know, by now, we are a men's ministry, and our mission is cultivating manly resilience. Specifically, we do that by providing content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. Today, we're just going with mental resilience, and we're going to keep it simple. I'm leaving a link to this article here in in the show notes. So go ahead and click on that link because I want you to read it and go through it as it's written. Again, like I said, fair warning, there's some bad language and there's a lot of things that I edited out, but I think it'd be really important for you to do that. But this is my challenge to you. My challenge is to shoot this out to a couple of guys and talk to them about it. And don't just send it to your guys from Sunday school. You know what I mean? Send it to some guys that, you know, maybe are non-Christians or secular people, atheists, whatever, and just kind of get their perspective on it. Like, let this be a conversation point as you go through and talk to people. 
All right, thank you guys. As always, we appreciate you listening to the podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play and refer your friends to listen and share this on social media. If you use the hashtag Undaunted Life, we'll be sure to find it and give it a thumbs up. If we deserve a five-star review, please leave us one and don't just hit the fifth star. Write a few sentences that let us know why exactly you like what we're putting out so we keep putting out good stuff, all right? I'm currently booking speaking engagements for the remainder of 2018 and the beginning of 2019. So if you want me to come speak to your church or your retreat or your Sunday school or anything like that, hit me up at info at undaunted.life. Again, that's info at undaunted.life. Our website is www.undaunted.life. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at undauntedlife or facebook.com backslash undauntedlife. Check out our free devotionals on the YouVersion Bible app. Just search Undaunted Life under plans. We also want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music library for our content. The intro-outro track on this podcast is their song King of Sorrow, which is off their latest record entitled Phantom Anthem. The links to all of this are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep cultivating manly resilience, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical toughness, keep seeking the Lion of Judah.